and welcome to the Living With Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Simone Denny, and I'm here to uncover how we find more joy, greater fulfillment, and deeper purpose in our lives. I will be sharing my own journey, as well as insights from thought leaders and everyday people who are living with purpose and have created a life they truly love. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I haven't posted for a couple of weeks. I've been away in Australia in Sydney and Byron and for the past week have been leading a women's wellness retreat in Byron Bay, which is always such a life-affirming, positive experience for me. yeah, I guess what it really confirms to me is this love and fascination that I have of the human brain and our emotions and our behaviors and that regardless of how everyone appears on the outside, we are all kind of going through the same things and similar things on the inside. We, we all are needing to be conscious of our thoughts of our beliefs and where they come from and our words and our behaviors and all the things that are influencing us. And there is no real end point to that. Um, And it's really lovely to be at the beginning of that where people are starting to raise their awareness about all of these things. And and as a result, going through their own growth and transformation. Um, But we are all just works in progress, I guess. And sometimes when people show up in a group on a retreat and speak with their authentic voice. That is what really comes home is that we're all walking a similar path and we're all, um, you know, trying to be better humans in the world. And it's quite apt that I speak to Monique Rhodes today because um, a lot of the work that she does in her meditation, mindful meditation practice is really about bringing about greater awareness in ourselves, um, really around our thoughts. And she also taps into the emotions. But she is someone who is incredibly inspiring to me. I felt like I just wanted to um, invite her over to my house for a long dinner and fireside chat. Um, I think I might have actually invited her Uh, on the podcast, but um, she is um, incredibly modest. I tried to pull out some of these um, kind of accolades and achievements she's done, but I couldn't get anything out of her. She's so incredibly humble, which also makes her so beautiful. But um, aside from um, being kind of the teacher of the 10 minute mind and and creating this um, wonderful Um, application or uh, tool for us to use. She's also had this really rich life of travels, adventure. Um, She's a a platinum award-winning artist. She's worked with the spiritual greats. um, And (laughs) a lot of that doesn't come through um, in the first part of the podcast because she is so humble and she kind of um, attributes these attributes these things to hard work and being lucky but um, in my eyes you know Monique is a very gifted human and the way that she just translates um, how our mind works through her little messages that she sends each day when you're on the mindful meditation program and the way that she speaks just makes it very simple and clear and for me I um, 
you know, really was not a meditator and I even probably didn't even want to listen to a podcast that much about it because um, I kind of decided I need to move and it wasn't really my thing. And I've really um, stuck with this meditation practice that she does. And even in the beginning, I used to kind of hurry through the little notes that she used to send and kind of just want to get it done. And now I really look forward to these 10 minutes in my day and they've had a profound effect on me and they've really opened my mind to to practicing meditation in a different way where it doesn't feel like a battle or a struggle. Um, and yeah, she has, she has a real gift on how, how she kind of uh, introduces you to, to your own mind in a different way. So some of the things that we talk about in our, in our podcast today is um, just the importance of, um, you know, happiness and how happiness is a habit and that we actually need to practice it. It's not something that we get outside ourselves um, and that it's really happiness is so dependent on our own minds. Um, she talks about how thoughts can kind of overrun us and how we can replay these thoughts almost like a bad movie until we're, we're tired of them and then what we can do about that. Uh, she talks about uh, how we can train our mind to go to a positive place um, and then also how everything is movable um, and the most powerful person to shift um, our thoughts or beliefs are, are ourselves. So she also, you know, shares some of her own little rituals and routines and, and the importance of intention and, and really feeling your intention, um, the importance of connection and bringing people together and the impact that has on our mental health. There's just so many goodies in this one podcast. I really encourage you to kind of listen through the beginning of her journey and how she got to where she is now and then some of the absolute gems that she shares about the mind. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce you to the beautiful Monique Rhodes. So today I'm delighted to welcome the lovely Monique Rhodes to the show. I actually feel like I know Monique because I hear her beautiful, calming voice in my living room or even my bedroom uh, many days while I listen to the 10 Minute Mind. But what I've found out since then is that this is just a tiny part of the rich life of Monique Rhodes. So Thank you so much for being here, Monique, and sharing a bit about your story. Uh, it's such my pleasure to be here. Oh, it's wonderful. So starting back a little ways in your life, you grew up in Dunedin in New Zealand, and you're in LA right now, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> and after finishing your studies, you stepped into a life of adventure travel, music, and self-discovery. Can you share about this chapter of your life? Well, it's such a big thing growing up in New Zealand, isn't it? It's, it's like it's such a specific culture and country. And I think that, you know, as I get older, I, I, I love coming home so much and I love spending time at home so much. Um, 
but I literally grew up in the bottom of the world. Like I was saying to one of my friends the other day that, you know, I almost grew up with the penguins in the Antarctica. Well, of course, there are penguins in my hometown of Dunedin. But, you know, it was just like we were really at the southernmost big city in, um, in New Zealand. And, you know, it, it's a very particular culture there. And for me, I was desperate to see the world. I had an absolute fascination with people from other cultures and you know, uh, I learned violin as a child and I, um, there were some kids uh, who, who learned with me who were Indian and I just couldn't get enough of their culture. And, you know, at the school I went to, there was a, a family who moved in who were um, from Holland and, and I was just totally fascinated by going over to their house and hearing Dutch being spoken. And, you know, I always wanted to like understand different cultures and, and uh, yeah, different language and things like that and see how did the world work? How did different people, you know, work in the world and grow up differently? So you're so wonderful growing up in New Zealand. I, I, I don't think I could have been luckier, but, you know, I was very, very eager to get out into the big wide world and, and see what was out there. Mm. Yeah, and then, I mean, that started a 13-year a, a adventure, was it, of being on the road? 13 years of <laughs> yeah, living out of a bag. It was absolutely awesome. Yeah, so, so tell us a little bit about what that, what that looks like and, and kind of the journey that happened and the things that came into your life um, during that time on the road. Yeah, I was just, you know, I think I just had a traveling bug in me and I, I've always been incredibly interested in self-exploration and incredibly interested in how far I can push myself, um, you know, as a human being on the emotional and psychological levels. So, of course, when you're traveling all the time, you have to be incredibly able to adjust very quickly to different cultures, different situations. You know, one day you're in one country, the next you're in another. And I loved all of that experience, you know. One day being in, uh, you know, one point I was in India for a whole year and, you know, was living in the very, very poor parts of India. And, and then I was, uh, you know, flew to Paris and went to the French Tennis Open for two solid weeks. I, ha I had a pass that enabled me in for two solid weeks and was staying in the center of Paris. And, you know, just looking at how, how you deal with, you know, all those different situations and, and really seeing at the end of it, uh, the thing that I, I knew was going to be the lesson was everywhere I go, there I am. And, you know, knowing that no matter how your circumstances change or however incredibly easy they are or incredibly difficult they are, at the end of the day, the person that you have to deal with is yourself. And I spent these years on the road dealing with myself and, and trying to work with uh, the different aspects of my being 
that, uh, yeah, perhaps were my fortes or perhaps were my challenges and really deeply getting to know those aspects of myself so that I could do better at the things that were my obstacles and, you know, to really appreciate the the gifts or skills that I had naturally come into the world with. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of um, something my friend said to me. It's that you always take the weather with you. And I think a lot of people feel like if they move, things will change and you'll feel really different. But ultimately, like you say, you're still with yourself. And yeah. You- yeah. And you do, you know, like I, you know, I have mixed feelings about it because I think that um, going to different places enables you to experience different aspects of yourself. So mm-hmm. sometimes if you're living in one place, you have a tendency to have the external environment expect you to be a particular way. Friends, family, people that you work with all expect you to act in a particular way. And so when you try and shift yourself out of the roles that you get caught in, it can be very difficult to do it because um, without realizing it, other people will put you back into that box that you've kind of contained yourself in. And the beautiful thing about travel is that you see lots of different aspects. Sometimes you're so much braver than you realize that you ever were. Sometimes you, you realize you're not as brave as you thought you were. And, and you know, as you, as you see all these different sides of yourself and you're in front of new people who have no expectation of you, you're then able to present yourself sometimes in the way that you aspire to be and because you're aspiring to it, people, you know, it really think that's who you are. And so you can, you can shift things sometimes quite quickly uh, in that way. And I hope that makes sense. But it's just, uh, you know, yeah. so it's a, it's, it, it can be incredibly liberating in that way because you, you have that opportunity sometimes to grow at a faster rate because you're not constrained by those familiar circumstances and people that hold you in a specific place. Mm, I can really resonate with that myself, actually, after, you know, leaving to go overseas, like you kind of for my studies and afterwards and really being, you know, stepping into who you want to be, depending on the energy and the environment that you're in. Yeah, I really, it makes a lot of sense. So what some people might not know about you is that, that you've, had an incredible career as a professional musician. Can you share a little bit about how you weaved this through um, that chapter of your life? And and yeah, it's it's a fascinating area. And I know you've you've you know won accolades for this that part of what you've done, which is amazing. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I was uh, given the opportunity to start learning music when I was very young, and I was. I was really, really intrigued by music from a young age and went to um, private uh, violin lessons with a a violin teacher who uh, soon discovered that I was completely tone deaf. So it became a joke for me as I got older and as she got older, unfortunately she died a couple of years ago that here I was now a professional singer and um, musician when, when I was, um, you know, six years old, 
and first went to my first, well, actually, I had to audition for her. She was that top, a violin teacher. Uh, she, she told my mother she'd never heard a child so tone deaf in her life. So, you know, as well as it being something that I used to like to tease her about, it was also, you know, through everything she taught me, she actually had to teach me how to hear and tune, which is really interesting. And, and maybe sometimes, you know, these are the things where uh, we can take an obstacle and, and turn it into um, something that becomes important to us because, you know, I, I remember being told that I was completely tone deaf and being shocked by it because I actually thought everybody could sing and didn't realize that I couldn't. And, and also uh, my, my best friend's um, sister, my best friend and I have been friends since we were four, her, her older sister, uh, you know, said some impolite words to me when we were kids about how bad my singing was when I had to do a performance at school. And um, I remember thinking to myself that I was never going to put myself in a position again where someone could be mean to me about singing. So there's only two ways you can run with that. You either say to yourself, I'm never going to sing again, or I'm going to overcome this. So uh, in my mind, it wasn't, I'm, I'm never going to sing in front of anyone again. It's just, I'm going to overcome this. And I remember my greatest aspiration was to be able to sit in the car where the radio was on and sing along to a song with other people in the car and not be embarrassed. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was the aspiration. I have to let you all know I have managed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you've managed to do much more than that. <laughs> so, so through, I mean, you obviously had a natural gift that you were musical, but part of that gift needed to be, you know, developed and trained and practiced. And that tell us about kind of how your voice evolved and where that took you. Yeah, I think, you know, I find the whole thing about natural gifts really interesting because I think that absolutely I had a natural inclination towards music and particularly towards writing music was something that fascinated me. And I wrote my first song when I was 14 uh, and yeah, it was just really um, a gift that I, I knew I had, but I think I've understood as the years have gone by that, you can have a natural gift in anything, but to really excel at it, you you have to do incredible amounts of work um, to reach any any place, and uh, you know that that will take that gift to the level that you might want to take it to. So I, I don't know. It was a kind of weird thing. It was, um, you know, I I started performing. Um, in a band when I was uh, around 17 and at Otago University. Um, and as the years went by, uh, I don't know, this singing voice just kind of developed. I don't even know how uh, it was. It, it just did. And um, it was such a wonderful thing to be able to get up on stage and and sing, you know, with, with confidence. I never had singing lessons or anything like that. I just, you know, I just sang and maybe it was just, some of it was that it was very much from my heart, 
but some of it was that over the years my voice just changed and it and it developed and and I have to admit that to this day when I get up on stage and perform and I hear the voice that comes out of me I, there's still an element of wonder in that and I go wow that's so funny that that voice comes out of me you know it's just the luck of the drawer isn't it we just <laughs> It's not, it's not like I did anything special. You know, I didn't grow this voice. It's just that I just happened to have a very particular voice that was able to develop into a singing voice. And, you know, and, and, you know, here we are. And I, I get something similar with, you know, with the meditation course, a lot of my students really, really resonate with my voice. So I just, I'm just lucky. <laughs> lucky as as well as some yeah like you say some hard work and some training the combination um so can you tell me how your your love for music and spirituality came together because i know that through your music you've worked with some of the great spiritual leaders and maybe you could share a little bit about that journey I'm always getting harebrained ideas about things and uh, there's a lot of them that go through my mind and I have a strategy for dealing with the endless creativity that runs through my brain. And I, I imagine it's like there's this wall and as the ideas come, I throw them against the wall and every so often an idea will stick. And if it sticks around long enough, uh, it just has a life force of its own and I, and I pursue it. And that is how I've ended up doing the things that I've done. Some of them have been relatively unexpected. I mean, I not for one moment expected to be teaching meditation. So um, I had this idea that, you know, I feel that we live in a world now where um, there's so much pop culture uh, and people are held in high esteem for having very little talent or very little wisdom. And I find this a painful thing. And I think that for all of us, uh, we need mentors in our lives and we need people who are wiser than us and on different levels to, to help us see different ways of doing things. And I guess when it comes to how to live life, there's a bunch of people who have interesting ideas as to, you know, how you may be able to live life a little more easily. Um, and, you know, it's almost like I feel these, these people have uh, different pieces of a toolkit that I, yeah, that I, I really like to delve into. And it's always interesting that it's called, you know, they're called spiritual teachers because on so many levels I feel that, you know, it's really practical wisdom, a practical wisdom that we need. And if we, if we call it spirituality, which it is called, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that go, well, gosh, I, I don't really want to know about that. I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not really interested. Whereas the truth is, is that we all want to know how to make our lives easier and happier and so I got this idea in my head that maybe there were a bunch of these teachers, um, some of them who I have deep admiration for, that, that perhaps we don't have access to because um, 
we've never heard of them or um, no one's introduced them to us or because that's not really our thing. So, uh, so I, I wanted to, to make an album of some of the spoken word of these teachers so that, you know, in a, in a track that was a little bit more enjoyable because there was music behind it, you could actually get a taste for what these teachers were teaching about. And, um, you know, and for some of them, they're teachers that I have great admiration for. Some of them were teachers that I didn't know so well, their teachings. And so, so I, yeah, I, I went to uh, an incredible company in um, Colorado called Sounds True. It was run by an amazing woman called Tammy Simon and, and pitched to them that we make this album and, uh, and, and we did. And it, you know, has people like Thich Nhat Hanh, Pema Chodron, Sogil Rumshi, Eckhart Tolle, Tara Brack, uh, a whole lot of wonderful teachers on it. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a really, really special project, particularly because I, 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 I did most of it in India. So it, I was really in such a wonderful space making this album and then was asked to to do the same thing for his holiness the dalai lama and so spent a year doing something similar for him so it was a, a truly a, a you know a, a a few years of absolute wonderful 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 projects mm, wow yes yeah, such a an inspiring time for yeah, to be in, in such a beautiful place and speaking to to people with such great wisdom so are we able to listen to these recordings? Are they accessible? Yeah, I mean, the the album that I made with Sounds True is called Heartbeats and you can um, get it uh, on Spotify, I believe, or Apple Music uh, and also from the Sounds True website. And yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it. So mm. would love you to listen to it. Beautiful. Well, I'll put them in the show notes too so people can click on those because I'd, I'd love to listen to them. So you're, you're kind of, this is where you can see the blending of, um, you know, your spirituality and music come together. And can you share how the 10 minute mind was born or, or your passion and love for mindful meditation? Well, I've been studying, um, meditation now for 17 years and, um, it was really a case of having tried different, uh, you know, I'd gone to different meditation retreats and um, I was uh, living in Australia when I did a number of them and literally would go to uh, a meditation retreat, close my eyes and fall asleep. And it was a nightmare for me. It was like, I really wanted to learn to meditate because I really wanted to have this experience. And I was so curious, but I would close my eyes and literally go into a panic because within about 20 seconds, I would start falling asleep. So it was very, you know, very worrisome for me. And then I was, um, you know, started, started to learn um, through Tibetan Buddhism and it enabled me to meditate with my eyes open, which was extraordinary for me. And so it made me realize that, you know, for every person, there's uh, different ways that work for you. Um, 
and I and and for me, uh, I found a way that worked for me, and um, I really really liked the way that uh, the Tibetan lamas taught meditation. It worked for me. It made sense. It was logical. I understood that I I didn't need to stop thinking, which seemed impossible and probably is. I understood that there was a meditation was a whole different thing. It wasn't about going off into a trance-like state and it wasn't about having visions and, you know, having massive experiences in my body. It was it was something very different. So I really, really liked it and and found that it was a life changer for me. It settled my mind, it settled my emotions, I became so much more grounded, I became so much happier, my stress and anxiety levels decreased dramatically. Um, you know, I, I very rarely worry about things. And, you know, just that whole, you know, prize of feeling happier, mm. you know, waking up every morning and being really happy and going through the day and that being able to stay consistent, just, you know, just so wonderful. So uh, it's been a big passion for me. And, and by mistake, I was, I was living in India doing the project for um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And these two girls came to me one day, I went up on top of my rooftop every morning and meditated and said, they came and said, listen, we know that you're meditating on your rooftop every morning. Uh, everybody in this particular area for the Westerners that were traveling through India, they were all being taught yoga. And they said, we want to learn meditation. And please, will you teach us? And I said, absolutely not. I'm not a teacher. I wouldn't even know how to start teaching meditation. And I, I don't want to. And they, they hassled me so much that I ended up feeling incredibly guilty and felt that, you know, maybe I have to teach this to them because it's been of such benefit to me. And maybe it's wrong not to say yes to them. So yeah. I kind of gave in and they came the first day and I very reluctantly talked to them a little bit. And the following day they came and they had two of their friends with them. And I just started talking to them about what meditation had done for me and it was almost like a, a switch flicked in me and I just realized how unbelievably passionate I was about it and how much I loved it and how much I understood that it is difficult to get started in a practice. And so my focus became, how could I help these kids? They were like 20, you know, how do I help these kids to really give this a go? And, and before I knew it, you know, we went from four to 30 every day. We're coming up to the rooftop and learning meditation. And, and then that kind of led on to them wanting me to have a program for when I wasn't with them. And, and so I, I, I created, you know, I had a little bit of spare time a couple of years later and, you know, created 30 tracks and tried them out with a bunch of people who had never meditated before and, and they absolutely loved it. And then I, I took it to a, um, I took it to University College London, which is one of, was the seventh top university in the world and said, I have this program and, and we trialed it there extensively and it was incredibly successful. Um, and of course, you know, they have it now as a permanent fixture, fixture at the university. And, uh, you know, we saw that in 10 minutes a day, you could change your life 
easily in 30 days. Um, and of course, you know, the more that you do it, as time goes on, the more results you get, but certainly within 30 days, you're really, you're really seeing quite, quite serious results from only a 10 minute practice every day. So mm. that's how it was born. Mm. Well, yeah, I've, um, you know, I can contest to how, you know, effective it's been for me because I'm not like you, I'm not a meditator. I'd sit down and I actually always felt like it was such a disciplined practice to meditate and that it was all about, like you said, getting rid of your thoughts. And, and I kind of had this vision of like being inside my mind with like a fly swat and just trying to get rid of all these thoughts that were just popping up. And it wasn't enjoyable for me yeah, because it felt so rigid. And, um, you know, of course, when you start, your mind is so busy that it's, you, you actually realize that your mind is this monkey mind jumping around. And so it's hard to start the practice but I loved your approach and it's I mean I feel it's amazing that I've done 30 days because I haven't been a, a meditator even as much as I've tried and wanted to be but I love the way that it's with your approach it's not about silencing your thoughts it's like for me it feels like you kind of observe, observe your thoughts and you allow them to come and go and I know you give a really beautiful analogy of clouds and I mean, lovely analogies all the way through and you, you make it feel, um, it makes me feel like you're sitting there next to me because, you know, your mind goes off and you're just gently saying at the perfect time, okay, just bring your mind back. And I think it's, it's just, it's so gentle, your practice, which is what I personally really resonate with. Can you share maybe a little bit about how you you know, how you work with thoughts and, and your kind of mindfulness meditation practice and through the 10 minute mind. Cause for me, that's been, you know, one of the, the most positive feelings that I've experienced is through seeing the thoughts in a different way. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the great, um, that one of the big things that people misunderstand, uh, about meditation is that they think that they need to stop thinking that was kind of funny, wasn't it? They think they need to stop thinking, but that's the truth is that a lot of people will meet me and say, what do you do? And I say, well, I teach meditation and they go, Oh my God, I really want to learn how to meditate, but I couldn't do it because my mind's too busy and I wouldn't be able to stop thinking. And I mean, it, that's almost like saying, uh, I want to have the ocean with no waves. You know, the waves are a completely natural part of the ocean and our thoughts are a completely natural part of our mind. It, we would not have a mind if we didn't have thoughts. So if you sit there and you try and get rid of your thoughts, it is very much like me saying, don't think of the pink elephant, you know? Of course, it's not possible to have no thoughts. So that's the first thing is to understand is when you start to learn to meditate, you, you of course you're going to have thoughts. It's a normal and natural part of your mind. So it's a little bit like this. You're sitting down, you're doing a meditation and a car goes by. What usually happens is that we hear the car going by 
And then we think, oh, there's a car going by. I wonder what sort of that car that was. Oh, I think that's my neighbor, Sally. Look what she's doing today. Oh, God, I saw her last week and she didn't look so well. And that's how our mind works. So if we can allow ourselves to have the observation of there is a car going by and leave it at that, our life would be so much more simple. Okay, because it's the story that comes afterwards that creates the nightmare for us. Because before we know it, we are off in a whole other place. And our difficulty is, is just being here in the moment. If we can learn to be here in the present moment, then all of the thoughts that take us off into a million ridiculous places. They, they don't have room to exist. So it makes life so much more simple. The car goes by, you hear the car go by, and you just leave it at that. You know? there's, a, there's a wonderful um, video that um, I'm sure that um, some of your listeners will have watched uh, by Jill Bolt Taylor um, called A Stroke of Insight, the TED Talk. And Jill Bolt Taylor is a neuroscientist, and she has discovered that the shelf life for an emotion is 90 seconds. If an emotion lasts longer than 90 seconds, it's because we're feeding it. So this is what we do all day. You know, you're driving down the road and a car cuts in front of you. You are like, whoa, you get such a fright. And then at the end of that 90-second emotion, you start rolling that story over in your mind. And then you get home and you say to your partner, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what happened today. And every time you tell that story, you're running that emotion. And, and this is what we do. And sometimes our stories go on for years. Mm. We tell people the stories of our lives that go on for years my brother did this to me my mother did this to me my my friend did this to me and every time we tell the story we're feeding that emotion that actually was finished 90 seconds after it happened mm. so this is really an interesting thing where we we do the same with our thoughts we 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 have a thought and rather than just leaving it there we chase after it and go down a rabbit hole because it's delicious, you know? It's like sometimes thoughts are just, wow, they're so enjoyable. But when you start to meditate and you start to see consistently where your mind goes, it's like watching a really bad daytime soap opera, you know? You watch, you're watching the same story in different flavors over and over and over again, day after day. And you start to see that actually you're pretty limited in the little films that you play in your head. The TV show is you probably got about five or six different TV series running that you, you just keep running and you, st you, you start to get bored with it. And then you start to realize, well, what's the point? You know, mm. I don't really need to go down this path anymore. Mm. And when you start to do that and start to, to learn just to stay here, allow the thoughts, but just allow them and let them go, let them be. Then it's, it's transformatory for your whole life. You know, it really changes everything.
Mm, I really, really like the way you describe that. And I think everyone can relate to those soap opera stories and, and being bored of them as well. And I guess that relates possibly to this epidemic that we have where people are feeling stressed and overwhelmed and anxious because I, I guess these stories become bigger and bigger and in our mind and that's triggering a lot of things in us would you say yeah and I also think that you know we're hyper stimulated we're in a particular time in history where we're hyper stimulated and we are hyper stimulated by a whole bunch of stories that we have no control over and you know 99% of the time are inconsequential to our life and they're created by advertising companies and media companies who want to keep us engaged in their particular rabbit hole, literally so that we will buy their product. Either we'll buy their newspaper or we'll buy the advertising or we'll buy their product. Mm -hmm. And and so they keep us filled with, you know, as many stories as they can. And we feel, gosh, if I don't stay on top of this, I'm going to, something terrible could happen and I won't realize. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, most of them are, fear-based stories and you know I remember when I was a kid um, and I'm sure you'll remember the exact same thing you know the newspaper arrived in the letterbox at seven o'clock in the morning dad went down and got it and you know you'd read the newspaper and and then in the evening there was the six o'clock news and you know we didn't grow up in America so we didn't have you know, all these different TV channels and a 24-hour TV cycle. We had nothing like that. We just had the news twice a day, two ways we could access it. And if it was in the newspaper in the morning, it was more than likely going to be on the 6 o'clock news. And the 6 o'clock news only went for half an hour. And so the rest of our time was filled, if we were consuming, was filled with magazines or media uh, in the form of TV shows. And, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have social media. We didn't have all these things filling us with pretty useless information nonstop. And, you know, I think that, I think that we find it hard to let go of that overstimulation because it's also incredibly addictive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a massive topic. The, whole new generation and our generation and everybody addicted to yeah being stimulated by something outside of themselves i guess and i that's the beauty of the meditation is bringing the awareness back in which i think is just essential for us and i guess that leads on quite nicely to happiness which um, i know is another topic that you're quite passionate about what can we do, do you believe, to be happier and maybe what's stopping us from feeling happy or happiness? Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the biggest things we think is that happiness is an entitlement, that we think, you know, if I uh, live in a particular way and do certain things, um, you know, have certain things, that I'm going to be happy. But I've really learned through my life that happiness is a, is a habit and it's something that you practice and it's a, you know, and I think there's a, there are things that bring us a, a temporary 
sensory uh, uplift. And that might be materialistic things. You might buy a new car and for, you know, a little period of time, you're like, oh, this is so cool. But it's not it's not long term. And I mean, all of us know that feeling when we first start a relationship and we think, oh my God, this is so amazing. And this is the answer to everything. I'm going to be happy forever with this person. And then a period of time goes by and, you know, and, and it doesn't quite feel that exact same way anymore. And I think that we're, we're led to uh, believe that there are a bunch of things like possessions, cars, houses, relationships, jobs, money that will make us happy. And, you know, they, they may give us a temporary buzz, but, but they do not give us a lasting happiness. So, so it's the whole question of, you know, what gives us a lasting happiness? And, and from everything that I've studied and learned and practiced on myself and as someone who is a very, very happy person consistently, you know, it, it, it's, it's a practice, it's work and you, you have to, you have to work at it. Mm. And what do you do for yourself to, to stay in that, you know, happiness space and, and create it as a, as a habit for yourself? I mean, there's a number of things that I do, but I would say, you know, and that's a long, a longer discussion. And, and, um, but what I would say is the, the absolute crux, the most vital thing is, is I've understood that happiness is not found outside of myself, that happiness is completely dependent on how, on how my mind is. And let me give you an example of that. So I, I could wake up in the morning and it could be pouring with rain. Now for, for, uh, for, some, for someone like me, if I woke up tomorrow morning and it was pouring with rain, I would be so happy. And the reason is, is because I'm living in Los Angeles at the moment and I can't even remember the last time I saw it raining. So I haven't had a rainfall for ages. So that would make me so happy. But I could just as easily be someone from, you know, Seattle or someone in New Zealand who had had a whole heap of rain and it, you wake up and it's raining and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's raining. But the only difference between our experiences is where our mind goes. I could wake up and go, oh, I'm so excited. It's raining. It hasn't rained for ages. And... And, you know, I love being in the rain. I get to have this experience and my, my plants are going to grow great in my garden. Or I could wake up and go, oh, I'm supposed to be at this conference today and, you know, this is going to completely change the clothes that I need to wear and I wanted to wear sandals. I'm going to have to wear shoes and what am I going to wear? And it's just all dependent on where does my mind go, you know? Yeah. And if you train your mind to uh consistently go to a more positive place then it starts to naturally consistently go to a more positive place but don't be fooled into thinking that that can just happen by oh i'm just going to be positive because you can turn around and go i'm going to be positive i'm going to be positive and then all of a sudden something difficult that triggers you happens and all of the anxiety and rage that you're suppressing comes out 
So you have to go deeper and you have to really look at where are the places that you get stuck and what are your habitual thought patterns? You know, this is where meditation is just the absolute number one tool for becoming happier. Uh, you know, so, so there's, there's work that has to be done. It's just not as simple as thinking positively, which we've been sold for many, many years. You have to look at, you know, the roots of, of the trees and see what's sitting under there. And it's very, very possible, but definitely my number one tool, uh, in that process is, is meditation with, without a doubt. Mm. So yes, I'm, sh I, I'm going to ask you about your daily practices and rituals. And of course, I'm sure there's meditation in there. Is there any other practices that you do maybe in the morning or, or sometime in the day that keeps you in alignment with yourself? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, obviously meditation, but one of the other things that I like to do is to understand that um, everything's movable everything is movable. I mean, even though things appear to be solid, everything is made up of, of cells and there's space in between them. So, you know, we can wake up in the morning and have a very set idea as to how a particular scenario is going to play out. Or, you know, you, you could, you could say to yourself, Oh, you know, you, you go to work, you might, you might be going to work in the morning and you might have a, let's say you've got a problem with one of your coworkers and in your mind, you can have a very set idea of uh, the pattern that plays out and you're going to go to work and this person's going to be unkind to you and it's going to be stressful and how are you going to deal with it? And I think one of the great things is to realize that everything's movable, but the most powerful person who can shift things is you to try and not change other people, to really work with yourself. And so I have a, a ritual which is, is very um, private. So I'm not going to say the, the words of what I say, but I do a practice every morning where I, I really work with that energy of how the day is, um, you know, everything is fluid and movable. And then I set a very clear intention of the qualities that I want to experience in the day. So, you know, it could be that I'm walking into a very stressful day for argument's sake. And I, you know, I just might say to myself that, you know, as I go through the day that, you know, I'm really going to experience love and kindness and gentleness, whatever it is. And, and I, 100% believe it. I feel it in my body. I feel that feeling of what I'm going to experience in the day and, and imagine that it is happening within the present moment with no question of it being the possibility. And, and then I just leave it and I'll go to bed at night and I really see that that is what's happened. And sometimes situations that I could not see it working any other way than the the, the difficult way that I've known it, you know, mm. I get to the end of the day and I see it's, it's really different. So that's an important one for me. And also another important one that, you know, is to be accountable to myself at the end of the day, to really set an intention at the beginning of the day and then to look at the end of the day and see how did I go with that intention. And, mm. and with that thought, um, you know, how could I do better tomorrow? 
always, always being incredibly loving and gentle with myself in that process. Beautiful. And that really is, you know, what this podcast is all about. It's living with purpose so that you're setting an intention for how you want to be. And of course, we might fall off and, you know, we might have other things that pop up, but the intention is there for the direction we want to go in. And I really love that in the 10 minute mind that you help people to set an intention for the day or a word and you can go out and, you know, work your intention is to be that and it's just a really nice it's almost like another anchor that you take outside of your meditation practice to to try to keep coming back to um and also i really like that you connect with the feeling of um of what that intention feels like because you know we can kind of have if we're feeling really off in ourselves and we set a word but we can't feel it then it's much harder for us to to, to step into that vibration. So I think it's a really great practice just for the listeners um, to when you are setting an intention or even a vision for yourself um, to really feel what that feels like in your body so that you're raising your vibration to be, to be in that space. So um, can you tell us what we can do for our bodies to help us live our best lives? You've talked quite a lot about our mind and our thoughts and obviously they're quite interrelated. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for our bodies as a meditation teacher, I think we don't realize where we hold stress in our bodies anymore. There's, a, there's a, often a disconnection from our bodies, which is where practices like yoga and Pilates are so wonderful to really become aware of your body in that way. But also to just to be aware of, you know, when you put food in your body, you know, how do you feel? Like, does it feel good? Does it make you feel energized or does it decrease your energy? You know, when you, if you go for a big hike somewhere, you know, are you, do you feel better when you do that in nature or, you know, or at the beach or through the streets or with the dog or with a friend? You know, just to really feel, you know, where does the release come? Where does the relief come out of your body? And, um, yeah, just to, I don't know, I almost want to say just to enjoy your body, you know, just to really enjoy the fact that you have a body and, you know, and, and, and be grateful for the parts of it that work. Uh, not all of us have all our limbs, not all of us have the ability to use all the pieces of our bodies and yeah, just to connect with the incredible great fortune that, that we have to have bodies that just do so much for us. I, I feel that's just such a wonderful practice. Mm, I know it sounds so simple, but then when we don't have something in our body working properly, it's, it's such a, you know, an ailment that holds us up. So I think it's, yeah, it's almost like the gratitude for, for what you have that you take for granted so often. What do you think that we can do for each other? I think that we 
really a living in a very individualistic society in the West. And having spent so much time living in the East and seeing the interconnectedness of the people in the East, the community base, the taking care of each other uh, kind of mentality, I am just a, a cheerleader for bring people together invite people to your home, cook meals, be with each other, listen to each other. Because it's not only you that needs that feeling of connection to stave off anxiety and depression, but those people in your life also do. And you, you don't even realize, we're all so obsessed with ourselves, we don't even realize how much pain other people are in and we are because of this individualistic society we're living in right now you know we're we're hurtling towards a an epidemic with depression and anxiety and a lot of it is coming from a lack of connection we're in a very very much in the age of disconnection which is of course the irony because technologically we're so connected and, and, you know, there's studies that have been done that have shown that people who are in, um, you know, who have strong social ties live longer, recover from illness faster, uh, and suffer a lot, lot less from stress, anxiety, and depression than others. So those social ties are, are so vital. So I think for each other, you know, maybe starting to be the person who says, hey, I want you to come over and have a meal with me or, you know, let's go and do X, Y, or Z. And, you know, if you're able to, just to, in whatever ways, be a person that connects, look look the, look the person at the shop in the eye and say hello to them, ask them how their day is, you know. Um, the homeless man in the street that all of us are facing you know, at the moment, you know, of course, help in any way that you can. But for me, the greatest gift you can give someone is to see them and to have a conversation with them and ask them how they are and how their day is going. And, you know, just these very small things create a very different world for all of us. And I, I really encourage you to do them. Mm, thank you, Monique. Thank you for that reminder, because I think we can get so stuck on being connected online or on Facebook or on Instagram that you have, like you say, it's a false sense of connection, but there are nothing beats being seen and being connected to somebody, you know, like life used to be, I guess, much more than it is now. So that's a wonderful reminder. You share so many amazing quotes on the 10-Minute Mind. I, I, I love receiving them. They're, they're very inspirational. Do you have a favorite book or quote um, that you feel has been a guiding force in your life? I absolutely do. I have uh, an absolutely favorite quote. And it's funny you should say this because I was just thinking the other day, I need to... Uh, I've got a beautiful meditation room in, in my home and I've got to put this quote up and frame it because I have always found it to probably be for me the most powerful quote. And I was very, very, very fortunate 
to meet uh, Marianne Williamson, whose quote this is when I was 19 years old in New Zealand. And uh, she, over the years, has become my friend. And, uh, you know, she lives in New York now, but she comes back to LA once a month. And I, you know, get to go to and hear her talks once a month. And I, you know, I, I, I really love this quote so much. So um, her quote is, um, is this, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That is a very um, moving quote to live by. And it leads me nicely to my next question, which is really about your light and what you believe is your purpose in this world. Because I think that quote really is about stepping into who you are called to be and being your full light. And that is really what the purpose is. So can you share what your purpose is, Monique? Yeah, I th you know, it's really, I, I wouldn't even say that it's my purpose. It's much more my aspiration because I fail at it every single day, more than likely every half hour, probably every 10 minutes. But, but you know, my real, my real, uh, my real driving motivator is really to try and be the most loving person I can be. And, and it, that, that's a complicated goal because there are so many situations where uh, that love can be blocked. And it could be as simple as, um, you know, saying a gossipy thing about somebody that you don't even think about. It seems so tiny and seems so small and, you know, and whoop, before you know it, that, that little thing has come out of your mouth. Oh, did you see such and such? Or, oh, look at that lady. Doesn't she have a funny hat or whatever, you know? <laughs> They're just blockers to love. Or it, or it could be that you're driving in the car and, you know, it doesn't matter that you're a meditation teacher. I was, you know, I, I ride a motorbike and I was riding my motorbike the other day and a, a guy came so close to, to taking me out by running a red light. And, you know, it's that whole feeling afterwards of, of, you know, of how do I feel about that man after he's, he's you know, threatened my existence and working 
with those things or, or, you know, being a kind daughter or a kind partner or a kind friend and loving in all situations. So it's a, it, it, it's a, I'm sure it's a very noble aspiration, but I have to put it, it is an aspiration in capital letters because all I can do is my best. And I, I feel if that's my guiding light for this, for this life that I, and I, if I really hold myself to that, um, you know, I, I will fail. And to all the people that I fail constantly, please forgive me. But I feel that, you know, it, it's a good, it's, it's a good lighthouse to have for me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I really love that. And I think all of our journeys are full of failures and that's kind of what makes us who human and who we are. I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I do think part of your purpose and your gift is your, your beautiful, calm demeanor and your, your voice and the way that, you know, that, that you guide people through awareness for me, that that's the gift that I've received from, from working with a 10 minute mind, but um, I maybe well, that's it. very kind. <laughs> then that's about this. That, those are bonus gifts. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bonus gifts are good. So uh, what do you, I mean, this might relate to what you've just talked about, but is there anything particular that you're working on in yourself right now? Maybe it was, it is just the, you know, loving kindness. I don't know. If there, is there anything else you're working on at the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I constantly uh, am looking at my speech. I'm constantly looking at what I say, how, you know, how I frame things, you know, even if there's something difficult, how do I frame it? How can I frame it in a way that it's an opportunity rather than an obstacle uh, it is always a focus. And, you know, these are habitual patterns and they take a long time to, to shift. Um, and over the years, I've got better at them. But definitely, you know, I think that what comes out of our mouths is extremely powerful. And uh, if you can go into the world and, and you know, and be a person that, you know, it, it is consistently positive and kind and loving in what you say, then gosh, you know, it's just such a wonderful thing. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's something that I have to have to look at a lot and something I, that I, yeah, I really, I really try to work with. And it's just, once again, just the subtleties of something difficult happens and before you know it, oh, gosh, that was so hard. You know, why do I have to say that? Why can't it, you know, why can't I say nothing or, or you know, see how I could make something positive out of it. And, and it's not denying. I'm not, I'm not into saying that you should suppress things. It's very important to, to, you know, acknowledge difficulties, but, but the way that you speak about it has a power. And if you can look at your speech, uh, well, I certainly know for me, you know, if I can look at my speech, it's incredibly transformatory and, and really changes my life. So it's, it's something that, you know, is probably a lifelong journey for most of us to look at how we speak. But I think it, it can be an incredibly powerful practice to have. Mm. Yeah, there's a, a quote from Gandhi that kind of relates to that about our thoughts and our words and our habits and our destiny. And they're all tied together, aren't they? So if you're mm -hmm. being aware on one of those, it's going to have a knock-on effect to everything and then to the whole 
to the whole world. Like you say, if we were all being conscious, the world would be a, a better place. Yes. So any words of wisdom that you want to share with our listeners um, that you've learned through your journey? Wow, I wish I had any wisdom to impart, but I don't have any. All I've done is kind of, you know, fumbled my way to this point. So, you know, the only thing I would, I would say that is absolutely unwise is, you know, just not to take anything too seriously, you know, just don't take it all so seriously. Like just have fun and be happy and look at, look at all the goodness, like count your blessings where, you know, for those of, of us who live, you know, in our first world country, we're, we're so privileged. And actually for those of us who don't live in a third world, who, who live, might live in a third world country, there are so many things in a third world country that, you know, particularly um, psychological wellness often comes in a third world country because of the sense of community that we don't get, you know, so much in the West. So just to like, just to be grateful and thankful for everything, even if life is incredibly difficult mm. to keep your focus on, on the good things as much as possible, because wherever you put your energy, you know, is, is, uh, is, is what is created. And in the words of, of the Buddha, he said, we are what we think with our thoughts, we create our world. And that really is the truth. How you think and how you speak is, is how you create your world. And if you're, if you're struggling and things are dark, you know, in, in your life, have a look at your thoughts and see if you can find a meditation practice that works for you so you can start shifting yourself out of that and look at the words you say. Become very aware of how you speak and what comes out of your mouth. So, and just have fun, you know. I really believe we're here to just have a good time. Mm, yeah, I think we need to be reminded of all of those things, the things that are, yeah, that's what this journey is about, isn't it? <laughs> so is there anything, Monique, that we can do to support you in the work that you're doing? Oh, what could you do to support me? Uh, cook me vegetarian <laughs> meals when I come to your area. Yes, you've got to come visit one. Uh, I promise vegan. I will. Vegan meals would be even better. I'd I can do that. vegan. I can do vegan. <laughs> Look, I mean, I mean, try out the 10-minute mind, you know. Um, try out the 10-minute mind. See how you find it. If you like it, let me teach you to meditate, you know. We, we take a very personalized approach to the program. Let me do it. You know, introduce it to your workplace. Uh, when I come to your area, stay in touch on, you know, on my weekly blog so that I can tell you when I'm coming to your area. Come to my talks. Bring your friends, you know. Mm -hmm. Encourage encourage people to do a meditation practice. I don't care whether you do my meditation practice or not. I care that you find tools that help you to be happier because life is is too short not to be happy. And there are ways to change your mind. You know, it's scientifically proved that you can change the structure of your mind so that you can be happier. So if I'm someone who can give you a little bit of guidance and help you along the way, I, I will be your champion. And if it's someone else that you find that you resonate with, that is just fantastic. I just encourage you to do it. 
Mm, that's a really beautiful way to wrap up our discussion. And I think that um, I'll put the link in the show notes, but there's also a free trial to start out with the 10 minute mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Come yeah. on and try it out for 10 days. And yeah. at the end of 10 days, you'll know, you know, whether you can stand listening to me or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love listening to you. And thank you so much for your time today. It's just been such a pleasure and so many beautiful, simple reminders of, of how to be in the world. So thank you for your beautiful gifts you give the world, Monique. Such my pleasure to be here. <laughs>